I'm Glenn Bowerman, and this is the final Spacing Radio election special. It has been a long, weird slog to the polls, and if you're listening to this, it is Monday, Election Day, so enjoy this, and then please do go vote. Our guests today are Sean McAuliffe, Spacing Senior Editor, Weekly Columnist for the Toronto Star and University of Toronto Instructor, and Matthew Blackett, Publisher, Editor-in-Chief of Spacing Magazine and Ruthless Employer. This was a fun discussion. Things get a little heated and a little bit blue. So if you are uh, in any way sensitive to that, maybe you skip this one. Otherwise, please stand by. Um, here we are. We are recording on the Thursday before the election. This episode will come out on election day. Uh, So I wanted to get a sort of um, reflection off the top from both of you. What was this election? Like, really? What what did we just witness? (laughs) Well, in my column in the upcoming uh, issue that that people will be uh, uh, receiving in their in their mailboxes or if they come to our events or into our stories I, I, I talk about this election being a sham it's a shame that it's become a sham of an election this is not um, uh, municipal elections are they used to be 10 months long uh, they've been cut back to either five or six months now but this ended up really being a five-week election mm-hmm. so instead of it being let's just say five months for just for the sake of picking a number a five-month election where these candidates get to get their name out there they they, they hit the pavement they talk to people they couldn't do any of this or they, if they if they did it was always about not the issues facing them it was always about Doug Ford and what city council what was happening at City Hall and City Council. So this election was not a municipal election in any real way. And I, and I, I, I strongly feel that there's a, um, an illegitimacy to the City Council that will that be elected. No fault of the candidates themselves, no fault of the, 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 the mayor, but there, there's, an asterisk beside this, there's an asterisk beside this City Council um, for the remainder of his term because this is not representative of Toronto, in a, in a, I think, in a real way. Um, this is representative of what Doug Ford wants Toronto to be. And uh, I think that's not, um, I, I think that's really bad for our democracy. And I think that it was, it was a horrible election. Um, and uh, whatever ridicule that has been thrown at Doug Ford and, and his party is is deserved and, and probably about tenfold more. Right. Sean? Yeah, I, we at some point after weeks of talking about the, the attack on local democracy, we had to kind of get on with it and like start paying attention to these local races. And, and it's almost like a sense of normalcy kind of came over uh, because we had to do it because we had to get on with things. But I have to keep reminding myself and I keep saying it out loud just to remind myself because to say it out loud is somehow drives it home is that a, a democratic election in Canada, what, the rules were changed, radically fundamentally changed uh, during the middle of the election, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which is unheard of in, in Canada and, and not, not something you think 
would happen in, in this country. It's something that happens somewhere else, but here it is, it happened here. Um, yeah, so I think the, the, I don't know, repercussions of this will be um, a, a long time. Uh, we'll, we'll still be, we'll be trying to figure it out for a long time. Uh, but it's like the, the wind was just kind of not just taken out of the sails. The sails were removed and burnt. Right. Um, <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, what Matt was saying, like the illegitimacy of this, um, you know, like, like, you know, there were candidates that printed 50,000 flyers with the name of their ward on it, and then the ward was changed, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. candidates that um, we'll never hear of again, because they, but they took a year off of their life, they lost money, yeah. maybe they, they quit their job or whatever, they, you know, take time off, um, all kinds of personal sacrifice that, that gets bulldozed um, in this. And I think I, I worry that a whole, like, you know, generation or whatever cohort of people are going to be turned off of municipal politics. And it's already so hard to get people engaged in municipal politics. I think the thing that you can see, uh, the uh, but, uh, not it's a symbol of engagement, excitement, momentum, all those things is lawn signs. They're, they're not indicative of who's going to win a race or who's not going to win a race, but it, what it does is it shows involvement and it shows, it shows organization. Um, and there were no lawn signs until the last two weeks of the election. There mm-hmm. was very few of them. Um, th- I, I traveled outside of the city. Um, I went up to Collingwood, uh, two weekends ago. Um, and on the way I saw election signs everywhere, all over, all over Bruce County and Gray County and Simcoe County, all, all those places yeah. because they didn't have their elections fucked with. They were involved. People had done their work. They had, they had, uh, they were interested. They were embedded. They were, they were committed to like all ask they, their, their elections weren't screwed with in Toronto. When it's, when, when the issues are so important, so huge, whether it's transit or the waterfront or housing, any of those things, to have five weeks for people to debate this is, is, is not enough. I know it is, it works well at a federal and provincial level to have that type of an election, but that's because there's parties and there's uh, and there's a there's a party platform and people fall in line and that doesn't happen at the municipal level. So that's what I find so that's why it's such a um, a shot uh, against the the shot across the bow of democracy. It's it you can't fuck with democ or local elections in the way that they did um, and actually have uh, a good city council, a good election and good debates. None of that is, is existed in this election and that's a shame because uh, at the mayor- mayority level and at the city council level, we need really smart, intelligent debates going on about these issues, and that did not happen at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found when I left the city uh, to go home to Windsor and anywhere else, if I went north of uh, into the 905, I felt kind of mad when I saw all the signs. This is turning into a bit of a... a, a, a kvetching uh, session, but kind of it's necessary to purge this. Uh, But just seeing other untampered democratic processes, you know, and and it really drove home what happened um, here in Toronto. Um, The sign thing is interesting. There were, on the flip side of that, I went up to, I was in ward, whatever it is now, uh, but the ward that Mamalidi's running in, um, in in North York. Um, And there's a huge sign battle there between Mamalidi, who has uh, Doug Ford's candidate or, or whatever on top of it, and Peruzza. Um, and it was like house to house to house. Um, and that is kind of the, if, if you need to f- pull something interesting out of it, is these incumbents who have to now beat each other up. Right. Um, Can't rest on their laurels. 
Yeah, and, and whereas before they probably you know would have coasted to victory. Um, so that, that is sort of an interesting um, uh, aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, city council, uh, it's been pointed out many times, and rightly so, that it has a diversity problem. Uh, the current council makeup uh, has one woman of color. That's Councillor Kristen Wong-Tam. Uh, and she herself uh, started, uh, well, like helped uh, participate in a group called Women Win TO, uh, whose mandate was to sort of train a diverse group of women of various ages and ethnicities to sort of go through this campaigning boot camp uh, to teach them, you know, how to run a campaign and, and mm-hmm. try to get more uh, diverse people on council. Sean, you, you're uh, active with uh, Progress, Progress TO, I think it's called, which has sort of a similar mandate. Yeah, as an advisor. And they, and they are looking to... Um, uh, boost the profile of of uh, a diverse range of candidates in in the wards. Right, but what we saw with Bill Five, the slashing of council from forty seven seats to twenty five, was that uh, yeah, as you said, like a lot of people, they hit the ground running. They tried to do all the things that an aspiring uh, council member must do, uh, especially when they don't have the name recognition of an incumbent. Uh, they printed off materials and they had to burn those materials. Uh, we had a guest, uh, Chiara Padavani. Uh, who who began her campaign with uh, a sort of slogan, put Ward 11 on the map. She's now running in Ward 5. So she had to... The map changed. Yeah, yeah, the map completely changed. Uh, um, So can we still tackle city council's diversity problem with with the, the race that we've been given? I don't think so. Like you've, each individual council race is now, you know, 110,000 people mm-hmm. in, in each ward. That's a mayoral race, right? And in some cities like uh, like Chatham-Kent down near Windsor, um, the entire population of the municipality is, is 110,000 people, I think. Um, so now you were requiring um, mean, uh, council level candidates to mount essentially a mayoral campaign. Um, and all the oxygen goes to the actual media oxygen tends to go to the actual mayoral campaign. So for an incumbent to get any name recognition is, is, is the biggest mountain to climb right now. And yeah. that, and that's, that means everything. Yeah. This is an election about incumbency. It's incumbent against incumbent. Like I, I, um, I don't want to, I'm probably going to date myself, obviously, because we're doing this before the election, but I don't think there's going to be any new people on council unseating an incumbent. It'll always be an incumbent. It'll, there's a couple of new open seats mm-hmm. um, where we have a few new councillors. Uh, the Beaches, East York is, is one of them. Um, that, um, and so, so this is about incumbency. And this is, this is what really, really irks me. Um, uh, about Bill 5 is that um, all this really does is the reduction of council, is it further, um, uh, it gets us steps closer to municipal or civic political parties. Mm-hmm. Or it means that candidates that can succeed and run this election are the, are the ones that have some sort of um, uh, uh, connection, either official or unofficial connection to the provincial parties. So you're seeing it. Like, in, uh, you know, I, I live in Parkdale High Park. Uh, uh, Sarah Doucette and Gord Perk split that ward before us councillors. But Gord is, she dropped out, and Gord is the one that's running for it. And, it, and, and I think Sarah made the decision 
from from the basic fact that Gord is deeply tied to the uh, uh, NDP provincial NDP party, mm-hmm. um, it has lots of infrastructure support from them, whether it's a list, whether it's volunteers, all those stuff, and 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 Sarah doesn't. Um, and so what you see there is like it it just becomes who has those connections, who has those deeper pockets. Um, those are the people that are going to be running and potentially winning in this uh, in, in this election. Is those ones that have deeper ties to those parties. To your point, uh, I think an interesting race. Is uh, between uh, Joe Mahevic and Josh Matlow, whose wards were kind of slammed up against each other. Both very popular incumbents, but uh, you know you can see the party machines at work. Uh, Josh Matlow has the support of the Liberal Party, it looks like, and Joe Mahevic, uh, the NDP, have circled their wagons around him. Um, they're not incredibly different councillors. They probably vote very similarly on a lot of issues, uh, but uh, you, you kind of see like this dividing line. Uh, and, and I think they seem to be very good colleagues when they, they work together on a lot of stuff, uh, both fairly conciliatory guys. You also see John Tory uh, sort of endorsing his raft of candidates. He hasn't done it a lot, but uh, you know, in the beaches that you talked about, he, he, he picked Brad Bradford over Matthew Kelway. Um, and he picked Joe Mahevic, uh, even though Joe Mahevic is an NDP guy, uh, over Josh Matlow, who politically you would think would be closer to Tory, but in fact they're like oil and water a lot of times. Yeah, Matlow was sort of one of the more effective, I guess, questioners of, of Tory's, um, uh, uh, per, uh, what's the polite way, illusionary kind of way of rationalizing certain transit plans and the like. Mm-hmm. That's such a diplomatic way of saying he made some really stupid decisions about transit. <laughs> <laughs> it really, because because he did. Yeah, and yes. and and we, we we shouldn't beat around the bush about this. It's an election, and this is like, this is this is the challenge. I, I I'm I. I I'm not going to say who I who I want or who I'd like out of those two I, um, yeah. because it's one A and one B essentially. I will say this: I, I think Matlow has been very brave to um, put his neck out on the line to to, to criticize Scarborough Subway, the gardener as well, and and, and the gardener, um, and and to clearly come on the side of evidence based decision-making when it comes to our transportation policies. If I was to choose between the two, or had to choose a topic between the two, I would choose Matlow because of that. But, you know, I'm not a one-issue person. I don't think right. our, 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 our listeners and, and, and most voters aren't one-issue people. Um, so it, this, this is what it comes down to, I think, in many ways. It comes down, like, when you have those types of people, it comes down to personality. Who do you like? Which is not necessarily the best way to choose choose candidates. Just as an aside, like Vote Compass, which is a fantastic tool that CBC um, uh, is using and, uh, and gave... friend of the show. friend of our show, Gabe Eidelman. Um, and, and Matt Elliott as well. Yeah, yeah, right. So they've, they've, they've really... They've, they've, um, what's interesting is I did that in my neighborhood. Uh, like six candidates answered it and they were all within like five percentage points of me. Like they're all very, very kind of... Um, I was surprised at the proximity of, of the candidates to my... Whatever my preferences were. Yeah, and so this and this is this this goes back to what I'm saying about a municipal election is like if if there were three candidates within like two percentage points of each other for me, you know, it was eighty six percent, eighty five percent, eighty four percent, right? right? Um, you need a municipal election that goes on for a while to understand the differences between those people because as good as Vote Compass is, it's it it is limited. You can't talk to those people. Um, you're not you're not getting all the information that you need. And then I have a I have a friend who I went to high school with who was complaining. 
about uh, 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 Councillor Gore Perks and about some of the stuff that he did. But then she did vote Compass, and she was way on his side of right. things compared to someone that she thought she was going to vote for. So it, it goes back to but she, what she didn't like is some of her interactions with, uh, with Councillor Perks. Um, so what, what is interesting is that people will be voting on this election in some ways, not, not because of their political beliefs, but splitting hairs essentially, right? Picking the person they like a little bit more. Right. Um, that, so you're, you're seeing that in, in, in the suburbs, I think, with some of the, the candidates that are maybe more conservative, and then you know downtown mm -hmm. where they're a little bit more progressive. And so it, it'll be really interesting how those things uh, uh, play out. Um, but what, what'll be interesting is how what voters, what they choose between those candidates, like Matt Lowe and Mavic. It's like, it's there's a certain, they're both progressive, but there's different approaches to progressiveness in this city. So it'll be interesting to see who does who does what, or if Tory's um, uh, backing of Mahavik actually backfires. I, I, I don't I don't know. Sean, what are you seeing? I mean, you you've written a book for, about the previous election where you you covered a lot of council races. Uh, uh, I think exclusively people who were not incumbents, uh, who maybe didn't have big machines behind them, and. Uh, uh, so, have you been getting around to following these races this time, or was there just no time? I was following them a little bit at the beginning, and then I lost track of it because everything changed. It's, it's like, oh, where's, where did that person I knew... I pay attention to this, and I am still having to get my head around where the wards are, right? So, people who kind of don't have time, to, it's not their job to pay attention to it. Um, you can imagine how confused everyone is. Um, but going for walks with these candidates um, for the, in the last election, in 2014, um, one of the most interesting things you could ever do, um, and you could do this by volunteering, um, <laughs> if you don't have some sort of journalistic reason, um, go for a walk and shadow a counselor as they go door to door doing their kind of uh, can canvassing, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and you learn so much about a neighborhood immediately because people will open the door, uh, and, like you'll be able to smell the food that's cooking, hear the kids yelling in the background or whatever else, what, see what TV they're watching. Um, and sometimes they get the candidate gets yelled at. Sometimes it's, um, it's, it's a long talk. Sometimes it's a grievance. Sometimes it's positive. It's all kinds of things. It's totally unexpected mm -hmm. um and and it goes on and on and on and um Number one, you, I marvel at the, the tenacity of local candidates. You know, so when, I, when you see one in the street, even if you disagree with them, they're like, you know, working their ass off uh, to, to get their name out there. Um, but they have such, they've, they've amassed such intimate geographic and human knowledge of the city um, that, um, that those are the kind of things that I have, to, I have to think about now to kind of give me faith after this kind of fake election that there are all these committed people out there and, um, and, and hopefully they don't decommit and, and get worn out after, after this uh, weird slog. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, there was a, in 2010, um, for that election, I was a, about a year before it happened, I was approached to see if I was interested in, in running in a, in a, in a ward. And I, I was like, you know, I, I talked to, I talked to the people that were talking to me about it. And, and I was, uh, I'm like, I don't, I don't really know if I want to like, if I want to do this. So, you know, I, I feel like maybe campaigning is, is something I would be like, I would enjoy. I don't know if working as a counselor would be something that I enjoyed. Right. Um, uh, and then, uh, uh, of all the people I ended up talking to, it was it was former Mayor David Miller, and he was talking to me about it. And he goes, if you don't know if you want it or not, go walk with a candidate. 
someone who was doing it. He says, go down to the States even, like, you know, uh, volunteer, like somewhere in Buffalo and walk door to door with the candidates um, and just see what they go through. You'll know then if you want to do it or not. Right. You, you, should never go, you should never go into uh, a campaign never having gone door to door with someone because it's the shock of your, a shock of your life. Yeah. Luckily, I had done that before, so I was prepared. And so because I had done that before, I was also happy to say, no, I, I don't want to do this. Right. <laughs> this is not something that I, uh, uh, want to go through. Yeah, absolutely. I, I used to think I, I wanted to maybe, you know, yeah. I did political science. This is what I think about all day long. Um, but after hanging out with them, it's like, no, it's not for me. Like yeah. I could never do it. I don't have the stamina to do it. Um, I don't suffer and, fools lightly. Yeah. We really, what it means is I, I'm, I, I can be a jerk to people. Yeah. I think yeah, yeah, if yeah. I don't end up agreeing <laughs> with them or, or, you know, so, so I, I, it's amazing what they have to, what they have to go through and what they have to put up with. And some yeah. of them I think are really good with it. Some of them I think are a little bit less good with it and yeah. they just kind of move on but that's uh, that's just going door to door and, and it, it, but i think it burns to the cynicism away like because yeah. it's easy to be cynical about politicians that's how ford got away with cutting counsel mm-hmm. right but when you hang out with them even if they're politicians you disagree with um they're still putting in the work mm-hmm. so it's like it's like you got you got to sometimes respect that oh yeah for sure taking it to the mayoral race and sort of calling back to what you said matt uh John Tory has made some incredibly foolhardy decisions, um, and they will be decisions that will have a lasting impact on the city. Uh, I'm thinking especially about the Scarborough subway and uh, and the Gardner East Expressway. Uh, you know, just not even just voting to keep it, but kind of whipping the vote to keep mm-hmm. it when it, it's an underused portion of this expressway and could be much better used for other things. And you would remove a barrier uh, between the, the rest of the city and our waterfront, which is one of the most special things that mm-hmm. Toronto has to boast for. You know, Chicago has its rivers. We have a big lake, you know, in a, in a ravine system. But uh, in front of this big lake is a giant highway. Um, John Tory, who has been on the record as saying that we should remove that portion of the gardener, uh, totally flipped, seemingly out of a fear of uh, angering the car people, and uh, and whipped that vote. Uh, and that's something that we're going to be stuck with if we can't turn it around for you know another 50 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really foolish, kind of baffling decisions that are not based in evidence. But he is an incumbent. He's seen as a very... Uh, kind, gentle, maybe avuncular sort of dude. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's polling very well. He, he started polling well, and he hasn't really taken a dip, uh, barring some kind of, you know, social fiasco. Uh, he kind of can just uh, stay in his little bunker, and, and it, it's his, it's his uh, race to win. Um, so let's, let's talk a bit about, you know, his, his actual record, uh, because that's probably why he's avoiding uh why he's avoiding uh debating keys matt one on one the less he says for his campaign is the better that's what any front runner does that's a strategy it's like once you're in front you you say as less or as minimal amount uh, as possible um i so it's it's not so much that like i the gardner expressway it needs repairs in some way so you either keep it or you tear it that portion down right like i Mm -hmm. I, it's 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 one of those one of those two two things um but there's ramifications when you make a decision like this that that we 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 don't talk about and voters don't necessarily see. So the 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 reconstruction of the East Gardener, um, uh, you know, it's it's not just like a, a loss for the waterfront; it's a loss for 
um, small, tiny projects across the city because the transportation department of the city is the one that is it's out of its budget that goes to repair the Gardner Expressway. Um, uh, if, you, if, if that budget is not changed, that means there's just a reallocation of funds within that department. And what that reallocation of funds has resulted in is that almost no small improvements to the public realm, to our streets, to our sidewalks are getting done Mm-hmm. because all that money is being sunk into the gardener. So I, I give you an example. I have There is an intersection in my neighborhood that was repaired um, uh, last summer, or I guess it was maybe this spring. Yeah, it was this, this past spring. And it had been on the books since 2007, and it just got repaired. So 11 years, and it right. finally got done. And that was before the Gardner East project. So when I talked to, when I talked to Councillor Perks about this, and I've talked to some other councillors about this too, is that they, they said, because uh, let me just take one step back here. Mm-hmm. I, I, I live at an intersection right across from a park. What it, what it needs for safety is it needs a bulb out. It needs right. to just rate it so because the stop sign people run the stop sign all the time. Kids are using this park all like they come down my street and they, they run straight into this park. And and at the same time, there's this this traffic that comes down um, this residential street that blows through the stop sign all the time. So it's because the the, the stop sign is placed poorly, and what it needs is it needs to be placed out a little bit further out towards the road so people can see it. A bulb out would do that. Right. Um, I talked to my counselor about it, uh, and it and he's like that I can't do anything about it. I, I just won't be able to do that for five to ten years because there's no money for it. And he's like, he's like, I, I've had to turn down. He said something like ten to fifteen projects in the neighborhood just that year because there's no funds for it. Right. I asked a couple other counselors, "Are you experiencing this?" And they said yes too. So this is this like we don't, we don't hear about this, and it's one of those trickle down effects of you, you, so you decide to keep up the gardener. What are the ramifications of that decision besides just the gardener? And that's what and that, that's what's happening. So that that's that's happens with transit when you want to build a a a subway to richmond hill um or or, you know it means that it means that you're not going to get a a new bus on your routes you're not going to be able to buy another streetcar um or five or ten or fifteen more streetcars for your route because the money is being sucked away to go to something else that that is not a priority and is not about keeping the neighborhood livable and safe and those types of things and i think this is this is one of john tory's great uh, illusions or magician's trick is that he, on paper, he looks, he, he talks about all these good things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's, you know, road safety, vision zero, uh, but then it was underfunded. They cut the funding for that. Um, this last week, uh, Jennifer Pegliero and the star had a great piece about the youth violence initiative, right? Which right. was supposed to be funded for $24,000, which the mayor was behind, but then it got $500,000 rather than $24 million. So underfunded. And just something from last year, the mayor announced, you know, with great fanfare, the opening of Don Valley River Park, which kind of starts from the brickworks and goes down. Uh, it's kind of a remaking of the trail system and uh, along the Don to the lake. Um, and I wrote it after it opened, and the, the actual trail surface is as awful as ever. Potholes and root systems, you know, are uprooting it. It's just like the mayor made, got to make the announcement, got to take the social capital of, yeah, here's a mayor on the move, making new things for Torontonians. Um, but then the, the follow through is not there because the money's not there to spend or, or the money's just not being spent. So um, he kind of plays it in both ways. And most people won't see both sides of it. They'll just see the announcement unless they have some personal experience with it.
state of good repair isn't sexy. You can't have a ribbon cutting dedication to, we're going to continue funding this good thing that already exists. Yeah. Look how many in the summer, how many water fountains are broken, right? Right. Uh, If if you go for a run through Hyde Park and and you need a a fountain on a hot day, um, they're just not being repaired. So, and that's a little thing that's not going to, that's not like a life or death thing, uh, unless you're, you know, really dehydrated. Um, But, but it's, it's a, it's a small symptom of a bigger problem of this chipping away of, I think, you know, the state of Toronto, that at some point it's going to catch up to us that everyone notices. Right. Uh, but right now it can kind of like creak along. Yeah, this is the thing is if you if you take care of the details, the other stuff will sort itself out, right? It's like you, you hear about this in like sports analogies. If you, if you go through the process, if you do the little things right, the end result will be good. You know, I, Mike Babcock talks about this all mm-hmm. the time with the Leafs and stuff like that. We're hearing it with the Raptors too. You do these little things, and 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 if you go through the process and you and you do the right things, the right things will happen. Good things will happen. Toronto doesn't do that. They're not applying that. Those little details are always overlooked. That was actually one of the reasons why we started the magazine in the first place. Was that they weren't paying attention to the small details. We wanted mm-hmm. to highlight those details of what makes a city good and functional. And you could see that once he started, the city started to pay attention to those details life got a little bit better um it it improved the quality of the the public realm improved and then when you stop paying attention to those details which is what you know that's a mantra of rob ford essentially in his mayoralty was just pay attention to one or two things on the budget and forget about everything else right you end up with the city that we have. And, and John Tory is this, uh, comes from that same vein of, of politicians. It's like, let's make some announcements, let's pat ourselves on the back and move on. And, I, and, and this is where I, I feel like, and probably a good segue to what we want to talk about, is that I think Jennifer Keysmat understands getting those details right. If you get those details right, it makes it a lot easier to make other decisions as you move forward. Mm-hmm. But as you said, like this, this election has been truncated. Keysmat only announced uh, that she was running uh, in response to Doug Ford's announcement that he would be cutting council. So she's only been running for, you know, a couple of months. And uh, even when she was, she was, you know, the the headlines were talking about Doug Ford, not talking about who's going to be the next mayor of Toronto. And so she she is that detail oriented person, uh, but it takes a long time to describe the importance of these details as I think we're doing now and as, as as we always try to do with spacing like spacing has this sort of urban advocacy mandate but I think you guys have all probably struggled with like how do you how do you tell Joe Toronto you know like why he should give a shit about a water fountain right and like Keysmat could do that and and tried when she was a chief planner but Again, like you said, it, it, this election has been so truncated. We haven't had time to have those conversations and really communicate these things. Yeah, this is the great conundrum for or challenge for for uh, the kind of city building kind of candidate. Um, how do you how do you talk about the the, the details um, as well as being sort of I guess populist and having like one issue that can you can kind of ride on the way uh, John Tory is with with low taxes, and it's impossible to kind of. Uh, put in a soundbite, you know, some of these more complex uh, yeah. solutions. You, you you need something. That, uh, Miller did it in 2003. He was it was very much a city building campaign, but he he, he focused all on the island airport, yeah, right? Bridge. So he he you 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 take one thing and you make it uh, an example of the 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 systematic problems that exist within the city. With the airline airport, it was about a beautiful waterfront. It was about not having corrupt deals at city hall. It was it was, it was a whole bunch of things that that uh, um, um, 
that it, that it fed into. It was an idea of what he could do. Um, and that's a challenge about, like, I... Uh, I, I say this with all respect to John Tory. I think he is a, a, a lovely gentleman, but what he is is he loses elections for the most part. He's won mm-hmm. two elections, I think, in his lifetime. He won this one as Toronto mayor, and he won one election after losing two by-elections to become uh, uh, an MPP. Right. He is not he, he is not very good at winning elections. And I think if we had a real campaign here, he would have lost this to Keysmat because she could have taken it to him if she had maybe entered earlier mm-hmm. or if it had been a real a real campaign. Because I, I like John John Tory doesn't stand for a lot. He does not have a vision. If you strip away the rhetoric all it is is really is talking about good manners and managing the books, and there's so much more to that than 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 the city. I, I know I know some people will say that he's led on gun violence and he's tried to get tolls and stuff like that, but he he is. I don't think he has led this city in the way that needs to be led. It's not about not just about bold decisions or anything along those lines. It's it's about he does not seem to want to make any kind of calculated risks that are for the benefit of the city um, and not about the benefit of himself politically. And my, the armchair psychologist in me is like, did it, getting burnt all those times and all those like losing, you know, because John Tory has been trying to get off, get, get into office for decades now um, and, and kind of, you know, losing the, the PC uh, um, uh, campaign to the liberals again um, on that one issue of kind of charter schools, right, right. Um, which was a kind of bold, risky thing. Mm-hmm. Is he, which no one was really asking for either. No. So is he, is he, is he kind of like trigger shy for, for you know, boldness now uh, because of that? Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? I, the, 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 the thing is, like, I, I, I just don't think he is good for our city. Um, as a, he, sorry, he's fine for our city. Right. But we don't need we don't need fine. We're not. <laughs> we, we we can do we, better we, than fine. That's we, a low bar. This is the thing. It's like that's a, that's a, it's a it's a it's a really low bar f- f- to have a fine to have a fine mayor. When when the mayor uh, uh, kind of signed off on the bid for Amazon, you know, he did not say Toronto is a fine city. He said right. Toronto is the greatest city. So ostensibly, these are the kind of great things we should be. And you know, his and his for. vision and his rhetoric does not reflect that. He, that he thinks this is the greatest city. He says it is, but there's no plans to make it the greatest city or get it to be the greatest city. And that's, you know, I don't, I don't think Kiesman has all the answers to those things, but, but, but at least I feel like she was willing to defend the city while John Tory rolled over um, when Doug Ford reduced city council. John, Mr. Tory was just equivocated immediately. Yeah, it was it was it was it was was pathetic to watch, and I was so happy to see her get up and stand up for that. And quite honestly, I think she should have made succession her main platform, even though it's totally unrealistic and maybe even ungovernable. The same way that like the airport was, uh, that Miller made the airport an issue. It was going to go through, and I think they knew that it was going to go through, but they still fought it. Right. Because they thought it was the right thing to do, um, I think she could have taken it to Tory on this idea that you did not defend Toronto. If you're not going to defend Toronto, I will. And uh, I think she could have taken it to, to him a little bit more on that front. But you know, I'm I'm a, I'm an arm I'm an armchair strategist at this front. Maybe, maybe I, that didn't pull well. I don't, I don't know. But I speculated in my weekend column uh, from the other day if s- someone should run off. Maybe it should have been Keysmet run on uh, raising taxes. Right, the great the great mm-hmm. fiscal iceberg that's heading for Toronto, that we, we have these dreams and be in state of good repair and we can't pay for it, right? And no one can touch uh, raising taxes, uh, even a little bit above inflation. So what if, what if someone just took that? 
and ran with it. I was very disappointed when she said that she wouldn't raise uh, property taxes above the rate of inflation. Uh, she did mention that she would think about uh, like a, a tax on the 4% wealthiest homeowners. Tax or uh, but that won't go through without provincial assent, and I don't see Doug Ford's you know, signing off on a, a tax for pe- people, uh, r- especially for rich people buddies. who are probably, well, yeah, let's be real. Like, yeah, the people out in Etobicoke, I mean, the, there are some giant houses out there, like next to his mom's. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I don't see that happening. So basically what she said when she says that she's not going to raise taxes above inflation is we, we still have the same problem, that same like state of good repair backlog and like, that was really disappointing, yeah. and maybe with a longer election, she could have unpacked why it's important to, to pay for these things. But I don't know what happens. Yeah, it'll be interesting to hear if any of like kind of the internal deliberations are discussed later on her team about why they decided to be a little bit more conservative with her. Like, you know, uh, it probably comes down to polling. It comes down yeah, to yeah. like who, you know. So if if she has liberal support. Um, behind her or uh, the people that are working for her from the provincial liberals, um, they'll have all of their data from the last provincial election that they would be willing to share. So there's, there, I think a lot of that kind of goes into it. And, and I don't know, man, even when it comes to property taxes, I, I don't, I don't listen to, I don't believe anyone in what they, what they say, because I think when you're, when you're eventually faced with the realities of this, even John Tory will be faced with that, it's going to have to be above inflation at some point. Maybe it's a, a, a one or two or three year hit where it goes up 3% each year and starts to get us towards something that, that, that helps make the city a, a tad more financially sustainable than, than it is. And that's the thing too, it's like no one ever seems to are able to articulate if I, if we're going to raise your taxes three percent, that means you're paying seventy dollars a year more. Mm-hmm. Like if you if if, if don't say three percent, say seventy dollars. Like use language that people actually understand. Because if you say three percent, that could be a lot. Because if you think about your yearly uh, income, you know, like it, there 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 are ways of dealing. Uh, branding uh, it, marketing, branding it, it, marketing it, and packaging it. Um, but you know, I, I, property taxes wasn't going to be. I don't think her major campaign plank is going to be other things to, to to do. Right. So, for all intents and purposes, it is election day. Hello. And welcome to Election Day. <laughs> what are your thoughts going in? Uh, what are you doing besides getting ready to uh, have a spacing uh, election party at uh, Popper's Pub starting at 8 o'clock in the annex? Uh, and hopefully people are also rushing out to buy our uh, latest election issue, mm-hmm. uh, which should be on sale by then. But what do you, what do you hope for, for, for the election and for the four years coming? Well, tonight it's going to be interesting to see the council races. And uh, I wonder, and some other people have speculated about this, if if Doug Ford's dream of, you know, crushing the progressive core of, 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 of Toronto's city, 44, now almost 47 wards, um, what if this 25 ward system actually is a little bit more progressive you know yeah. it, it, so, so that it, that's going to be an interesting power yeah thing to watch. Ed keenan at the star a, f- a friend of ours wrote a really good column about like okay well there's there's eight of the 25 we can probably say are going to be progressive right. but there are four more that that could be progressive um which means that 12 to 13 splits or 12 to 12 split, you know, so it'll be interesting to see the dynamics. I, I, I hope it's even, I hope it's not, um, uh, you know, totally conservative and totally progressive. We need a city that has, has some balance and has lots of, 
lots of ideas. My again, my whole concern is that it comes around to incumbency. It's you know there's there's 95% chance that if you're incumbent, you're going to get reelected, and I think that we're going to see that number reflected in the results uh, on, on election night. So um, what I what I what I'm 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 hoping for is that there there there, there is a a, um, uh, a wave a wave of progressive candidates that outnumber the the the, the conservative candidates on, on council and it's not that I don't like conservatives I just think that our city needs more progressive ideas we've we've had conservatives ruling over our our, our city hall for the last uh, two terms eight years um, it needs to swing back a little bit because the, the reason why our, our, our city is not doing as well is because we have we have anti-progressive ideas um, uh, about the city and that comes down to policing that comes down to our transportation options mm -hmm. whether uh, traffic or, um, or or transit or even walking you know we have, we have people getting killed just walking in the city and we don't need to <laughs> we don't need to be having that yeah I thought that would have been a could have been a bigger issue yeah in June it felt like you know like it felt like the city was was finally paying attention to it, like, oh, this is this is a thing, and I, th but it didn't. It somehow didn't become. Well, somehow, somehow, is the shit show that Doug Ford, uh, you know, oh yes, the, yes, crapped on the city. <laughs> Sorry. Now uh, we have a new issue of the magazine. Can you quickly tell us about that? What can people look for in the pages of our new issue? So it's a it's a post election plan for the city of Toronto, for how to fix City Hall. So, you know, our, we have a, a, a wide cast of, of contributors who have a, a variety of ideas. And so um, we dedicated the entire issue to this election. Uh, no, f no fluff in there at all, really. It's, it's, it's straight up uh, cover to cover um, about what needs to be done at City Hall? Um, I'm excited by it. We have we have pieces from uh, Jay Pitter. Um, she wrote about how uh, safety goes beyond just cars and traffic and bikes and those types of things when it, on our streets. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, uh, we have a great great piece about how to modernize our police force. Um, we have uh, we we talk about the yellow belts. John John Lawrence digs into this idea about how our um, our stable neighborhoods need to be less stable. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we need to start cutting into that because something like 80% of, of, of the land in this city is stable neighborhoods. And how do you grow a city of, of, of this size with the ambitions that we have in our official plan um, if you can't build anything over two stories anywhere, if you can't have a basement suite in the suburbs or anything like that? Yeah. It's interesting, like the Vancouver election right now is, is, is one of the main issues is density mm -hmm. so that, that's it's actually being fought about their version of the yellow belt mm -hmm. um, which might be a thing in in four years here yeah. who knows right uh well thank you both for joining me on this uh sort of uh post-mortem of the election that's about to take place uh pre-post yeah pre-post-mortem <laughs> yeah uh yeah please do join us uh the the whole space and gang will be at uh, popper's pub uh in the annex uh on bloor street just east of bathurst uh, starting at eight o'clock seven Se starting at seven o'clock my bad uh yeah come have a drink with us we'll be watching the results as they come in we've got tvs uh, uh we've got activities uh alcohol alcohol so much alcohol uh so weed or Oh yeah, we oh yeah. I now. guess we have weed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we should bring some weed. Uh, so come burn one down with us. Uh, that is October twenty second at seven o'clock, Popper's Pub. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. And that is the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked this show, please give us a like, share, subscribe, or ratings on iTunes, as it'll help us reach new listeners. 
I make this show with Neil Hinchley, who composes our music, and you can find his music on SoundCloud at Track82. That's all spelled out. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or scoops, you can tweet at us at Spacing Radio, that's all one word, or email me at glennbowerman at spacing.ca. That's G-L-Y-N-B-O-W-E-R-M-A-N at spacing.ca. Visit our website at spacing.ca or visit our city store at 401 Richmond Street West in Toronto. Until next time. Cheers.